I absolutely agree with that. I do wish that he could rebound a little bit better, but again, like you said, I mean, he's still still developing. He's extremely young, um, and I think that he he seems like a quick learner. Like he learned the system pretty well in the summer league, and I think he's just he's willing to adapt to Brad Stevens' system. And like I said, I think that limitless potential on his in his part. I was one of the detractors at first, to tell you the truth. When they moved up in the draft, I didn't really like the pick. And then I, I started to look into it a little bit more. And, you know, because obviously with Gonzaga, we don't see that much, um, that much Gonzaga action on television, tele- uh, you know, ABC or ESPN. Um, and you can but, also point to the Gonzaga stars that are kind of playing that. Adam Morrison hasn't really done much. I know being in the area that Shelvin Mack, I believe most recently, is on the Wizards, and you, you really don't see much of those guys really making as big of an impact in the NBA as they did in college, and that's also something. And speaking of college, obviously you already mentioned his name, Brad Stevens, the brand-new head coach. I'm really interested to see what happens with Stevens. By all accounts, at least the most important relationship he'll have, quite possibly, is with Rajon Rondo. And that seems to be going well. They seem to click. There's obviously not a lot of stories. Rondo doesn't like to be in the press that much. But I know during the beginning of the summer, right when Stevens was hired, they talked to each other. It seems like they think about basketball in the same way, which can only help this team going forward. But Brad Stevens, with all due respect to Kelly and Linick, coming out of college, the coaching change is probably the biggest factor for the Celtics, at least the biggest new addition that they're going to have to deal with, because we don't know how a college coach is going to do. And if you look back in history, college coaches haven't fared that well. Celtics fans remember all too much what happened when Rick Pitino came to town. Yes, absolutely. And I think um, that's an unfair comparison on a lot of levels. Um, I think Pitino was given way too much power, and his expectations were extremely high, and I don't think that he had the, the sort of report that you want to see with uh, with his players. I think it was uh, just a failure from the get-go with that. And, of course, some of the moves that he made as president didn't help. It just compounded a bad situation. Uh, with Stevens, I think that they're they're setting him up really well. They're setting up, setting him up to succeed pretty much. Um, his expectations are pretty low. Obviously, this is a bridge year or rebuilding year. I know we've heard that about seven million times since <laughs> since May, but that's um, it's really the truth. And I I agree I agree with you. It's 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 building because when I look at this team, it's even with the healthy Rondo from day one. At best, this is a team that's going to make the playoffs. Will probably bow out in the first round. Without Rondo, they're a surefire lottery team. It's a building year, and they're really in that middle ground of. They're saying all the right things in terms of hey we're not going to tank, not not going to throw away games just for uh to, to get a draft pick which I think they they kind of should do but you, you're you're going to be in that no man's land in the NBA kind of in that middle good enough to make the playoffs but not good enough to get out of the first round that's where you don't want to be. Yeah, I, I don't think that they're capable of making the playoffs with this roster to tell you the truth. Um, I'd like to say that they could, but. Um, I just think that they're going to be too horrific on the rebounding front, and I think that they're going to be giving up a lot of points and, um, and a lot of opponent field goal percentages. I mean, it's, you don't it's, think they'll make the playoffs even with? Um, I, I really, I really think so. I have them winning about twenty-seven, twenty-nine games, um, and it, it pains me as a long-time Celtics follower to say that, but uh, I'm just sort of setting myself up and. And and you know, hoping that uh, <laughs> hoping that I don't give myself unfair expectations for this team, and and then just watch them explode. Um, I really, I'd be happily surprised if I'm wrong. But um, <laughs> I and I'm, I'm gonna go on a limb and say, say say you this is all kind of hypothetical, but say it will be will be wrong. I mean, Ron in the NBA you really need to have that superstar guy that you can build around. That's what it comes down to. I think Rondo can be that guy. That being said. A quick caveat, and I can get into this later if time permits. But the problem with Rondo being the Celtics' best player is that, and we haven't seen since the Bad Boy Pistons, we haven't seen a team win a championship with 
the point guard being their best player on the team. It almost happened this past year with Tony Parker. Say what you will about Duncan and in the playoffs, his performance, especially in the finals, he was out of this world. But for, from, from game one, even through game seven of the finals, I mean, the reason the, the Spurs lost probably was because Parker wasn't fully healthy at the end. But still, you have to go all the way back to the 90s where a team had the point guard as their best player and win the championship. I know the formula works. The Celtics obviously are a few pieces away. That being said, I think Rondo is one of the top three point guards in the NBA, and when he plays up to his potential and really turns on to be the national television gamer in the playoffs, we've seen it with massive triple doubles. This guy can play like a top ten player in the NBA overall. And when you have that, you have a guy like Jeff Green who – quote-unquote, maybe, how many times have you heard this is the year he's going to break out? I don't think he has to break out anymore. I think last season, the end of the second half of the season, with Pierce being out a bit and Green really more taking over offensive responsibility, I think we saw what he can do and will do on a more consistent basis. So you put Green out there with Rondo. And then the other players, you mentioned the rebounding. Kind of funny, I think Chris Humphreys is a very good rebounder. I mean, He's a guy who played, played less than 20 minutes a game, still pulled down almost six rebounds a game for the Nets. He's a big body, 6'9", 235. You look at him, and then you also look at a guy like Jared Wallace, who's going to bang down low. He had a horrific year last year, especially shooting the ball. I understand that. I think he's going to bounce back. I know he's overpaid at four years, 40 million, I believe, the Nets gave him, but still, I think he'll come back. And not only that, He's another guy who's a very, very good rebounder. Jeff Payne, not great, good enough. Brandon Bass, very athletic, can be a very good rebounder. Solinger, we know he's a beast on the boards. I don't think they're going to be that bad as you think. Well, I mean, agree to disagree, I guess. Um, I, I think Chris, Chris Humphreys is definitely a great rebounder. Um, and I, I won't discount him for that, that poor year last year. Um, but I don't think just Chris Humphreys – can lead this team to uh, to the promised land on the rebounding front. I, I, they got substantially worse um, after the Brooklyn trade because of that, because on the, on the glass. I, I just don't think that they're going to be pulling down many boards at all, and and that's a problem with a young, inexperienced, um, jumping team, pretty much, especially when you have Rondo injured to start the season. Um, I, I think you're going to need help on the glass, and and you know, folks like Vitor Favarani aren't going to help that much because they don't have the NBA experience. Not yet. Not yet. That, that, that is true. But they should be a fun team to watch. I think they'll be a pretty fast team. Even without Rondo, when you got Bradley, who's one of the faster guys end-to-end in the league, Courtney Lee, so athletic, Jordan Crawford, Keith Bogans. I mean, they're going to run, and their big guys can run too. I think it will be a very exciting team. It should be a fast-paced team. So to speak, I know Brad Stevens, when he was at Gonzaga, really had a uh, – they were a very slow team, a grinded-out team. I mean, they had games in the 40s and the 50s when they were playing. That's how they almost beat Duke in that championship game that one year. It, they they really, really slowed the game down, made it physical. Obviously, a different shot clock, 35 seconds of college, 20, 24 in the NBA. Can't really take that much time. And with his athletes and the overall talent in the NBA, it's, it's not quite the same thing. But I'm really interested to see if Brad Stevens is going to be able to get this team to a higher gear because I think that's where they're going to have to be at if they're going to thrive, if they're going to try to win games. They're going to have to try to outrun people. As you said, they definitely did get worse after the Brooklyn trade, especially on the glass. I mean, when you lose Kevin Garnett in general, your defense is going to suffer. That's just That's just a fact. And when you when you take that in consideration, if they're not going to be as good on the boards, one hopefully hopefully they make more shots. That's a, that's a good cure to help your rebounding numbers. You won't have to rebound it if the ball goes in the net. But a team that's smaller, if you get up and down the court, it'll give you chances for putbacks and other things before the defense can get set and before it can get boxed out by a bigger team. The Celtics aren't a tall team, but they're a wide team. Brent Bass, six eight. He's so athletic. Solinger, not the tallest guy, saying about 6'9", but he's a wide body. Celtics have him listed at 260. He's a big boy. There's a lot of tall players, and it's a versatile Celtics team. Like Jeff Green, he can play. He could he could theoretically play at 2, 2, 3, or 4. You have a Solinger who can play the 4 or 5. Same with Bass, who could 
probably even play small forward, depending on how you kind of configure your lineup. It's a very versatile team, which I think will give Brad Stevens, make it easy for him to adjust because there's so many lineups. I'm so excited to see. Preseason is actually going to be interesting this year. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. And and um, going back to what you mentioned about them scoring more points and taking more shots, I agree with both of those ones. I think they are going to be a run-and-gun team. Um, I, I do think that that's going to help out a little bit with the rebounding. Um, but I, I will say that that's it also comes with the territory of sloppiness, and I think it's going to be a little sloppy from time to time. Especially without Rondo. Yeah, and we're going to have to bear with them. Um, I, I I wonder what they're going to do about um, the point guard situation in Rondo's absence. I know that they were looking at Delonte West a while ago, or so it was rumored um, Phil Pressey, I think, is a, a great addition to this team, and he's got roots in Boston um, with his father, a former assistant coach of the Celtics. And you know he can run because he was on the those Missouri teams that – and the head coach, name of the head coach escaped me, but they had the 40 minutes of hell that they just pressed, pressed, pressed. All they did was run for the entire game. So you know he'll be up to the task if the Celtics – choose to go up-tempo. I really did like him when he was at Missouri. It was a fun team to watch. He was definitely good. But then you got Jordan Crawford, Avery Bradley, even a guy like Marshawn Brooks and Keith Bogan. Those are guys that can handle the ball. So even though the Celtics really are without a point guard, and we saw this last season, when Rondo went down, when you had Pierce, he really kind of became a point forward. And I'm not going to say Jeff Green can necessarily do that to the ability of Paul Pierce. However... Jeff Green can handle the ball as well. There's a lot of guys who can handle the ball, and they have it. It's going to be hard without a point guard, but the Celtics can survive. I don't think they need to necessarily make, make a ratchet just because Rondo might not be back until maybe January. He might miss all of 2013. I hope he, I hope he doesn't come back. I, I wrote a piece on CLNS Radio. You can check it out. wrote it last week about how Rondo shouldn't come back until 2014. There's no need for it because, hey – Sloan, you think they're not even going to be a playoff team with Rondo, so what's the point of rushing them back? Absolutely no point. This is all about next year. Yeah, I really don't think they should be busting their butts, so to speak, to try and get into the playoffs um, with such a rich and plentiful draft coming up in the next year. Um, I, I really think that they should think about the fact that this is a bridge year, it is a rebuilding year, and we need to load up on talent. We have Many, many draft picks, or what is it, something like seven draft picks in the next five years in the first round. I mean, with with that in mind, you absolutely can't be going out there trying to win 40 games. It's just not <laughs> going to happen in my eyes. Um, and I think you have to think about the center position going forward. You have to think about um, – know, improving the point guard slot. Well, that's an interesting, real quick, uh, the center position going forward. Do you think Kelly Olenek could be a starter on a championship team down the road? Or maybe not even a starter, a contributor, at, at least maybe the first big man off the bench. Because in today's NBA, you don't need a dominant center. The, 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 the Heat obviously have shown that you don't need a center a dominant center anymore to win. You just don't in today's NBA. Do you think he fits into a long-term, long-term plans? I think he fits in, like you said, coming off the bench uh, or playing the stretch four position as a starter. Um, but I, I really don't see him as a, a successful NBA center. Um, I think it's not what his skill set demands. I think he's good. more of a power forward then. I, I would say, yeah, a, or even a three, a three or a four. I think he's good on the the high block. I, I mean, four, three, there's no way he's going to be a small four at 17. <laughs> let's, just, <laughs> let's just throw that one out. <laughs> no, no, yeah, well, obviously more of a stretch four, um, and I think that's that's his ideal position. I think Danny Ainge alluded to that when he first, when he first drafted him. Um, he's just too good off the dribble. He's too <laughs> good of a jump shooter. Um, and he's, he's not polished at all um, on the low block, I don't think. I don't think he's str- really strong enough, and I don't think he grabs enough rebounds. Well, when we come back, speaking of centers, we're going to talk about one of the centers 
who has been pretty much the best center in the NBA for quite a while. And he had some words with a legendary center that we're going to go... Hey, this is Mike Fay from Mike T. Just reminding you about all of the great stuff we have right here on CLNSRadio.com. Even though the Celtics may be in the offseason, our Celtics postgame show will be back in better than ever when the boys in green take the parquet again. And until then, stay with CLNS for outstanding coverage of the Red Sox and Paw Sox, plus we still have our outstanding weekly shows. Tuesday night at 7.30, it's the Boston Sports Connection, hosted by CLNS content manager Sean Backey. One hit away from a perfect game, and he was dealing on Saturday. On Wednesday, Brian Langford brings you the evening score at 8. I always tell you, I'm not scared to go into it. I'll go completely into it. And tune in Thursday nights at 9 for NBA for Life with Pat and AWOL. The Pacers win games when they go inside to David West and Roy Hibbert. Don't forget you can call into our live shows at 347-215-7771. And if you miss the live broadcast, you can download us on iTunes. And there are even more awesome podcasts available. Check them all out on clnsradio.com. Hi, everyone. It's Ty Ray from King of the Court and the Celtics postgame show. clnsradio.com is rapidly expanding and you can be a part of it all. Join the CLNS Radio community today. Register as a CLNS member. When you join, you'll get your very own blog page and profile. And signing up is so easy, you can even use your Facebook page to do it. While you're at it, text CLNS fans to 22828 to join our e-updates community. That's CLNS fans, one word, to 22828. And don't forget, you can always chat and become a part of the conversation on our message board. That's at clnsradio.com backslash forum. CLNS Radio is getting bigger and better every day, and we want you to be right there with us. Celticsblog.com Blogging since 2004 and leading an outstanding team of contributors, Jeff Clark is the most distinguished Celtics blogger on the web. Celtics Blog features a team of journalists and locker room reporters that provide Celtics fans the most unique, thoughtful, and in-depth commentary online. There's a bunch of ways to interact with the number one community of Celtics fans, Friday fan posts, fan forums, and the most popular live game chat room. CLNS Radio is proud to be a content partner of Celtics Blog, and Celtics Blog simulcasts the CLNS Celtics postgame show following every single Celtics game. And that's not all. CLNS and Celtics Blog join forces this season to bring you the Garden Report, the only HD postgame show shot live on the parquet floor at TD Garden. Check it all out today at CelticsBlog.com. This is Avery Bradley of the Boston Celtics, and you are listening to ELNS Radio. CLNSRadio.com, the home of Internet Sports Talk Radio. And welcome back to the Celtics Beat. My name is Daniel Baker. I'm here alongside Sloan Piva, sort of alongside Europe and Massachusetts. I'm down in D.C., but hey, technology, man. Am I right? Absolutely, and it's Piva, by the way. Piva, I'm so sorry. It's Long okay, I get that. Piva. All right, I probably should have known that before I started talking about your last name. But anyway, before we went to break, we were talking about Kelly Olenek and if he could be a center of the future for the Celtics, if he can be part of a team that could one day win a championship. Because I think the Celtics are going to try to win a championship eventually one of these days. So that's probably the goal. I'm, I'm not a rocket scientist, but I believe that's the goal coming back. So, it brought up something that's kind of going around the NBA offseason right now, where one center, who you might have heard of, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, said that Dwight Howard, more or less, Dwight Howard's a dummy. He doesn't have what you need in between your ears, because that's the most important muscle that you use on the court, as Kareem told uh, ESPN's first take on Thursday. He says, Dwight's ba- basketball IQ is not up to speed for him to be a dominant player. Now, that's, say what you will, that could be a fair assessment, but 
Dwight didn't sit back and take it. No, no, no. Dwight said, responded by saying, you can't win three defensive player of the year trophies and be stupid. That can't be done. And I don't think any coach that has ever coached me has said I have a low IQ for basketball. So we have one of the greatest centers of all time, maybe the best center of all time, talking. Uh, it kind of turned a feud with a center who for quite some time was the center in the NBA. Now, due to his injury to his back last season, really was a huge drop-off performance-wise. If you look at his numbers, nowhere near where they were. And really, that's not terribly surprising because of the injury, but overall, Dwight's numbers are on the decline. His dominant days might be over, but this whole thing, it just gives me... I get a kick out of it. What do you make of this whole thing? Dwight going back and forth with Kareem. Oh, I think it's hilarious. I think it's uh, it's pretty uncalled for on on Kareem's <laughs> part to even to even start this. I mean, they got rid of the Dwight Mayor um, after putting up billboards to try and get him to stay. You know, he finally took off, and I think it's the the best the best thing for both parties that they parted ways. But this is kind of like the uh, the bitter ex ex girlfriend or ex boyfriend. <laughs> tweeting something about about um, their former significant other three months after they break up. It just doesn't make sense. But I mean, it, it, it's it's funny and it's a it's a story. I think it's going to end up being um, sort of locker room material for Dwight down the line. And I think um, Dwight is working with Kevin McHale. He's he's had uh, visits from Hakeem Olajuwon to work on his game. So mm-hmm. I mean, I really think that Houston's going to be a significant contender this year and. Look out, L.A. When when Dwight comes to town, he's going to have extra motivation to just tear them up. And uh, it would be interesting because he's never really been a player to kind of play angry, so to speak. That was always the, always one of the biggest knocks on him. That is, is Dwight too nice to be a great player? That you you, you maybe need. I I don't know. I don't necessarily buy that you have to have to be quote unquote angry or play angry or be able to harness that. To play well, if it's not in, if it's not in you, it's not in you. You don't need to be Michael. Everyone's not Michael. LeBron didn't need to be a really mean person to win another championship, did he? No, he didn't need that. We had this whole thing last year with it, it, KD isn't nice anymore, which was just absolutely ridiculous. Kevin Durant seems like a really nice person. I want to be his friend. He seems like a great guy. Is, is he a worse player? When he's happy? No, that's ridiculous. So, I don't know, maybe, maybe this will be a little bit of a, a fire for Dwight to, to really get him going. We, we've seen him work with other Hall of Fame big men before in off-seasons. I believe he's worked with Patrick Ewing when he's down in Orlando. I think he's worked with Hakeem Olajuwon um, uh, before. And now the, this whole thing with Kareem, I mean – Dwight will never be what Kareem was offensively. I think we can all agree that. I mean, Kareem also played 20 years in the NBA. We might never see that again from someone of that size. But, I mean, if you look at Dwight's raw numbers even, 12.9 rebounds a game compared to Kareem's 11.2. And if you look back when Kareem was playing, they shot the ball more. There were more opportunities. Does that mean Dwight's a better rebounder? I don't know. Maybe. Well, and also, it, if Dwight Howard really is as dumb as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar says he is, then that just makes Dwight Howard's physical athleticism so much more prevalent. <laughs> I mean, this means that he is one of the most amazing physical specimens to ever grace NBA court. He so, might have the most perfect reflexes in the history of world then. I mean, he might not win uh, a Jeopardy basketball IQ contest with Rajon Rondo. <laughs> I mean, I I'll, I'll probably won't win any Connect Four games against Rondo either. Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> I'll still take Dwight Howard on my team any day, though. Um, just, just looking at it, like you said, his points, his rebounding percentages. Because uh, he can still be a dominant force defensively, and. Even though you don't need a dominant NBA, uh, a dominant center in the NBA these days to win a championship or build a great team, I think because there are few, so many few other dominant centers that if you have one of them that can completely change a game. He can completely change a game just by his defense alone. And I think being in Houston, 
I think the pressure won't necessarily be there. I think it's going to be great. And I'm so excited to see what he can do along with Harden. And you have Chandler Parsons also on that team. Omar Ashik. I think if Ashik and Howard can find a way to mesh and play together, my word, that is going to be a very, very fun team to watch. And hopefully later in the season when the Celtics play the Rockets, we'll get someone who covers the Rockets on a more frequent basis to get them to talk about Dwight. It'd be really interesting. It's all going to come down to health, really. I mean, isn't that all? It's going to come down to health for Rondo. It's going to come down to health for Howard and a lot of teams in the NBA this year. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the big H word, that is a very important word. Um, and like, like you said, definitely for the Celtics. Um, I mean, you've got you've got Green, who may or may not be the, uh, the best offensive player on the Celtics, who's had heart problems in the past. Uh, you've got Rondo's knee. Um, you've got uh, you've got Avery Bradley who missed half the season last season. Um, so there's a lot of question marks, um, but that's that's really how it works. It's everything boils down to health. So yeah, I mean you look, you look at the Celtics, you look at the Bulls with Derrick Rose coming back. All eyes are going to be on him. All eyes are going to be on Westbrook because he's going to be the key for the Thunder coming back because Durant's not going to be able to do it alone. He's not going to get past the Heat or even a lot of teams in the West without his buddy there. So big injuries to superstars. Kobe Bryant coming off his Achilles. A lot of big injuries. And we will now transition into our wonderful guest that we're about to have on Jared Weiss, our CLNS radio locker room reporter. And he does work on our wonderful YouTube page. And if you want exclusive NBA content this season, not just a five-second soundbite, not your generic run-of-the-mill locker room talk. Look no further than the CLNS YouTube channel. Get exclusive content unedited from the Celtics locker room and much, much more. You can subscribe today. Find us on YouTube. And now we welcome in Jared Weiss. He was at Media Day. He knows what's going on with the Celtics. But we're on the center conversation. And Jared, you were talking about before the show how you do know Dwight a little bit, and what, what, what could be going on? What, what do you think he's going to do with this cream nonsense going on? Do you think it's going to help him at all? Well, first off, I want to thank you for fulfilling my contract and shamelessly plugging our YouTube page. <laughs> oh, of course, uh, of course. And thank you for having me on the show. It's a beautiful Saturday afternoon, great time to talk Celtics and NBA. So, Dwight, my inter- I've talked to Dwight a couple times, spent a little bit of time with him, and my my impression of him has been that he's a little bit aloof. He 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 doesn't seem like so he doesn't seem extremely sharp in like social interactions, which is of course something that people definitely pick up on the court. So it's something that seems to be consistent when you just kind of observe him externally. Uh, but he he seems like someone that kind of tries to brush off stuff and kind of just do what he's what kind of do him do what he likes do what he's used to. He doesn't seem to be someone that changes very much. He's never really changed his attitude, his media relations, his you know, his kind of persona. He's always been kind of like a soft, easygoing guy who deflects criticism. That's because and he gets criticism because of the way he presents himself. But he's never he's never really seemed to take that criticism and try to use it. And maybe he's just someone that he kind of looks at the way that people inside and outside the league criticize him kind of just hate on him. I mean, it's not just criticism. He gets straight-up haters. I don't even like the term haters, but that's the way that he gets treated. No, and, he does, and it, it's dumbfounding to me. I mean, he's by all accounts, he seems like a nice guy. Yet, which he is. He, so, so, one, he's a nice guy. He's a very, very good defensive player, a great defensive player, which pretty much, if I can simplify being a great defensive player, he's a great teammate. And... You got a guy who's going to help his team. It doesn't seem like he necessarily cares about the numbers as long as the team's winning. And it, there's just all this hate. Yeah, he, he made a dumb decision. He looked like an idiot with this whole thing with the Lakers. And is he going to go back to them? I don't know. And, and all this flip-flopping. But just when you really look at it, what did he really do? He didn't do anything illegal. He didn't do anything wrong. Just give the guy a break. 
Well, he's underachieving. That's that's the issue, is that people recognize his talent level, and everyone feels that he's underachieving because he's just about as talented a center as there's ever been in the history of the game. You look at just his, his physical ability, his agility as a center is, is almost Shaq-like. Uh, his athleticism, his explosiveness, his power, I mean, all that stuff is as good as we've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. And he has he has some skill around the basket, but the problem is, I think the biggest issue with him has been as a crunch time go-to offensive player. Because defensively, I mean, there's there's not a ton more he can do to really improve defensively. I mean, he's not on the Bill Russell level, obviously, yeah. uh, but he's he's a very good low post defender. He's not a good uh, exter- uh, perimeter defender, which is definitely his issue and where he needs to get better. But he's definitely one of the best low post defenders of the ge- of this uh, generation. But you can't give him the ball and try to work an offense through him in crunch time. That's just not the player that he is. And it's a player that he should be, and that's what all the great centers were. I mean, the Lakers, we thought that when he went to the Lakers, it would be just like with Shaq in the early 2000s. When there's one minute left in the game, you need a bucket, you put him on the block, and you let him go to work, and he'll create he'll create a play or he'll score. Because that was the biggest thing with Shaq. With Shaq wasn't just a great scorer, he was a great playmaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he could... He could put the ball over his head like KG did, like Will, uh, Will Chamberlain did. I mean, like all the great centers did. He'd be on the block, put the ball over his head, and he could find a cutter if he needed to. Doesn't and nearly he, get the credit he deserves for his passing ability. I agree. Exactly. And when is Dwight – I mean, it, I've never really seen Dwight Howard try to do that. Not even, not just, like, do it consistently. I've never really seen him try to do that, try to be that type of player. And that's the frustration is Dwight – he's a very mechanical – you know, you if you see him post up – you can you can read what he's going to do. You watch him on TV. You see him post up. You kind of know which move he's going to do. It's pretty he's pretty easy to read. And it's not he's if you're physically capable of defending him, you're going to be able to do a pretty good job against him. Kendrick Perkins was able to do that for a while until Dwight decided to start writing the pick and roll. And uh, obviously, there's nothing you can do once Dwight's ready to pick and roll. And that was the frustration was that when he went to the Lakers, you thought finally we're going to get Dwight running the pick and roll every single night. But he didn't want to do it. He wanted to just post up and go to work. And it was so frustrating because and the little basketball. problem in that role too, I think, with the Lakers was not giving Steve Nash necessarily the ball enough. Kobe, I mean, I don't know how much Kobe's going to run the pick and roll as much as Steve Nash. Who I mean, that was his bread and butter for his entire career, basically. Yeah. But Kobe can run the pick and roll. I mean, Kobe yeah. can do anything he wants. <laughs> Kobe, Kobe become true. a noble laureate, a poet if he wanted to. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of Kobe love here, a lot of Kobe love here. But, yeah, Dwight Howard, I mean, there aren't many guys who can defend him, uh, match up with him physically still to this day. So, I don't know, maybe it, is it too late in his career to really become that go-to offensive threat? I mean, he couldn't be working with two better guys, and Mikhail and Elijah Wan. I don't know, Sloan, what, what, what do you think? Do, do you think we're going to see all of a sudden Dwight's offensive repertoire just multiply tenfold or something? Oh, I don't think they're going to try and make Dwight something that he isn't. As Jared said, you can't run an offense through him, and I think they're going to set him up to succeed in that offense. I think that they're going to use him as a facilitator um, for their offense. He's going to be um, – running the pick and roll probably with James Harden and um, with some of their younger and, and quicker um, guards. But I, I, I do think that, <clears throat> unfortunately, he, he failed in Los Angeles for uh, quite a few reasons. Um, I, I think maybe they would have benefited from bringing back Phil Jackson or you know, even looking at a Jerry Sloan-type coach. Uh, I think things just didn't work out for him. Um you know, he says, when I joined the Lakers, I was the greatest center. When I left, I was the worst. No, nobody's saying that but Dwight. I mean, I don't know why he said that, but um, I, I just think it was just, a, as as I said before, it was the Dwight mare. It was just, it was just a terrible saga, and it needed to end. And, uh, and I think if we've learned anything from watching Dwight Howard over the last two years specifically is that we really shouldn't pay attention to anything that he says. Because you're not going to learn that much more about him. Yeah, but he, and he says, I don't know why I'm going back and forth with Kareem. I don't want to go back and forth with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And then he, you know, issues out another three paragraphs of material. So <laughs> if you don't want to go back and forth with him, stop going back and forth with him. <laughs> Seems pretty simple. But there's a center on the Celtics who really 
I I know very very little about. A lot of people don't know much about. He comes from Brazil, and he had some time. Jared, I believe you got to know him a little bit better at media day. What can we expect from him going to the training camp? Because the center position, so I still think Solinger is more of a four in the NBA for sure, and Olenek probably is going to end up being a four later on in his career. I think. I mean, I think he can be kind of a tweener, but this new guy. Vitor Favarani, Favarini? Vitor Favarani. Vitor Favarani completely butchered that one. What can you tell us about him so far? So, basically, uh, call him the indestructible man, or El Hombre Indestructible. That's what his nickname in Spain was, when he, where he played professionally for the past few years. So, basically, he's a very, very large human being that likes to smash into other human beings. That's kind of his playing style. So I I, uh, I talked to Austin Ainge, the director of personnel for the Celtics at Media Day, and he was telling me that the big thing with uh, Favarani that they're going to have to work on is trying to not make him into a guy that smashes into other guy kind of player because the, he's going to foul out in like five minutes, as we saw with Solinger, who I think he like broke a record for most foul outs in a month last year. I mean, he is a he was fouling like crazy, and you're going to see Favarani. He's going to struggle with that. He's a very very physical, brute force type of guy. He's big. He's seven foot two sixty, about. Uh, so he's he's a straight up solid big dude, mm-hmm. and he gives them the muscle. Because the the concern with not having a center on a roster is two things: it's it's length on rebounding and just like power, just being able to overpower guys underneath. And he does those two things. He's very big. He's he's at least six eleven, if not seven feet. He's got a pretty good wingspan. He's very powerful. He can hold his own underneath the rim, and he's going to serve that need when they're playing other bigs like Dwight Howard type players or Marcus Gasol or stuff like that. And that's they're really going to need a guy to match up. This is yeah. huge because or Hibbert, one, of course. the Heat, that's their weakness, is going to be size. It's just that is that that you got to have a very good big man if you're going to beat the Heat. And the other power in the Eastern Conference is the Pacers, and, and that's another team. Indiana is huge. they got size everywhere between Hibbert and West, and just their guys are just pretty much big at every single position. So you've got to have muscle if you're going to come out of the East. And, of course, Brooklyn with Brooke Lopez, Joe Kim Noah in Chicago, all, all the best, the five best teams in the East, uh, the Knicks with the with Chandler, the five best teams in the East have all-star centers. It's funny we have we were entering this age of the you know the death of the center and then all of a sudden the five best teams in the Eastern Conference all have all star centers so uh, except for Miami of course um, although we'll see if we'll see what we're going to label Chris Bosh this year it seems to change every single year but uh, Favarani he's he he's got a three point shot uh, the Celtics are now flush with big men that can shoot the three you have Solinger Olenek and Favarani who are all pretty decent three point shooters. Uh, shooters. So that's going to be really fascinating. And we talk about stretching into new age, analytical era, small ball is having all of your centers be three point shooters. I mean, that's pretty exciting stuff there. Uh, There's going to be, there's going to be a book one day about the 2014 Celtics whose center shot 37% from three point range. It's going to be, be, I'll have to write it at some point. Perhaps Um, it's the 2014-15 Celtics team that maybe got a great draft pick and then actually challenged in the playoffs. The Jabbar Parker era. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But so I'm assuming we're gonna that they're gonna get the fifth pick just like uh, when they got Jeff Green when they were trying to go for uh, KD or Owen. I'm sure I'm sure the ping pong balls will probably fall as quickly as possible for the team. But so Favarani, he's basically at this point. I think you're gonna put him out on the wing a little bit to shoot the ball. He's a good high post passer. He's one of those kind of prototypical international centers who's tough, who can shoot from deep range and pass from the high post. So you might see uh, a lot of maybe putting him on kind of like the foul line, like way on the high post, putting the ball over his head like we were talking about with Shaq, Will Chamberlain type players, and you know setting up screens to get guards curling underneath. So you'll have a play where like you have Favarani in the high post, Avery Bradley gets a backdoor screen so he can cut to the rim, and Favarani gets him underneath the rim for a layup. One of those kind of plays. So I think that's the kind of stuff that they're going to experiment with him early on in the season while Rondo's out and they're trying to have everybody be a playmaker on the team. And going to from the biggest guys in the court to the smallest, Sloan was talking about earlier in the show how without Rondo, really not sure who's going to be there because there's really no necessary true point guard. And I remember last 
season, when Ronda went down, Pierce kind of became that point forward. Not sure if Jeff Green can necessarily do uh, fill in that role as well as Pierce did. But when you have guys like when you have Bradley, a guy like Pressy, if he's going to even make the team, Courtney Lee, Marshawn Brooks, and Bogans, you got a lot of guys that can handle the ball. But really, at this point guard position, are the Celtics? Do you think they're going to be looking to get someone else, or are they going to be content w- with with kind of spreading the point guard duties around to the whole team? I mean, they have a lot of guys that they want to work with here. I don't think they really need to pick up anybody else. There's not really anyone else on the market at this point that they would really need. And it's not like they're trying to – like they need or want necessarily to add another person uh, to fill that role because, you know, they are not – they're not tanking. I'll put it that way. They're not tanking. Do you buy uh, that? Real quick, I, I got to jump in with no. this. Do you buy that? I, I don't believe in tanking. I don't think any team – actively tanks unless they're like uh, like the Pittsburgh Pirates for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I definitely think that you're deliberately, like Danny Ainge deliberately isn't trying to make immediate turnarounds and make big moves so that this team can hopefully have a mediocre record so that they have a better chance at getting a good draft pick. So I don't think that they're trying to be a bad team. They're just deliberately not putting themselves in position to be a winning team. Um, so that's, I'm not trying to give you a typical Danny Ainge answer where you're like, you're not, you're like a kind of half truthing it. It's, <laughs> it's just, it's basically, you know, you're not going to try to lose. They're not going to put, they're not going to, cause you know, they are running a business. They need to have a loyal consumer fan base there. So they're not going to like, they're not going to say to the fan, they're not going to present themselves to the fans or deliberately go to the fans being, listen, we're, we're not going to be a good team. Don't buy tickets this year. You know, we'll maybe come back in a couple of years when we're good. You know, they, they need to be loyal to their fan base. So I think that they basically set up the season as that we don't think we can really turn this team around immediately. That the opportunity isn't out there. You know, they 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 weren't going to be the team that paid Al Jefferson, no. which is a good which is a good thing. As hard as it is for me to admit, because I'm such a huge Al Jefferson fan. I don't I think, think every time right we spoke guy. last season, we both said they should trade for Al Jefferson every single day. Well, Al Jefferson on like an $8 million a year contract, not on what he ended up getting at like, what was it, 14 a year? You're, you can't you can't give, what, like a quarter of your payroll to Al Jefferson and you want to be a, a title contending team. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. There's just too many limitations to that guy defensively and pace-wise. Offensively, but he's awesome, and I love. He's one of my favorite <laughs> players in the league, and I love watching him. But I don't. I wouldn't want to try to win a title with him, unless, of course, I had a thirty-year-old KG next to him. Then that would make a little bit more sense. Well, well said. Celtics not going to tank. Say what you want. I think they maybe theoretically should. I know they're not going to necessarily go out and try to lose games, but. And maybe this isn't isn't tanking. And Sloan didn't get your take on this yet. I want to hear what you have to say as well. But I wrote something last week with about Rondo and when he's going to return. We know he's an incredibly competitive guy, and heck, he's probably thinking he wants to come back as quickly as possible. I don't know if there's necessarily an exact timetable. I don't know if anyone knows exactly when he's going to come back. I say he needs he should wait until 2014. I'm, at, at the very earliest, I don't think there's any reason to rush him back. Again, not 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 to purposely tank, but it's not like with Rondo there they're going to contend for a championship anyway. But you got to look at the long term health of the guy, and I think that everyone's going to benefit if you wait till at least 2014. Yeah, yeah I well, agree. I, oh, I'm sorry, Jared. I'm, I don't think they're going to rush him back by any means, and I agree with Jared. I don't think that. Um, they necessarily have the option to uh, to tank or to set up a public relations department strategy rigging for Wiggins. I don't think uh, <laughs> doing that. Um, but you know, I, I think they'll bring Rondo back. Um, you know, in a couple months, probably three months. I think they're going to ease him back. He is still you know limping a little bit, so I think you'll see him for you know the foreseeable future, probably January, mm-hmm. uh, February. I don't know. One other uh, w- one other guy that is going to be pre- pretty key. Last season kind of labeled him as the X factor for the Celtics going forward because of his versatility is uh, Jeff Green. And he's going from the X factor to really, without Rondo, 
believe he's the second most important player to the Celtics' success this season. And I kind of want to know what – did you get to talk to him at Celtics Media Day? Because this season, the offense is definitely going to have to go through him, and he's really going to have to take more of that burden. I think he's ready after what he saw from last season. What do you think, Jared? Yeah, well, I asked him about uh, being aggressive uh, offensively, and that was the thing that he started to really do at the end of the season. And then he gave the whole, I'm going to use the words of Kevin Garnett and be an a-hole line, which uh, a lot of people loved for obvious reasons. That was one of the best things. He's probably the best quote he's ever said in his life. <laughs> and that's coming from Jeff Green, who typically isn't doesn't really verbalize his emotions very much. Uh, but he's slowly it, – it's funny. When when Jeff first started uh, last season, that was his, like, first, like, uh, exposure to the Celtics media since his uh, since he had been out for so long. Mm-hmm. And he was really quiet, didn't really answer any questions, didn't really want to be there. He's kind of opened up a little bit more as the season went on. And then at media day, he was he was definitely a lot more open. He's still, he's still very quiet. He still doesn't look people in the eye that much while he's talking to them. He still kind of, like, looks out. Uh, kind of looks out in the space when he's answering questions, but he's starting to kind of be a little bit more engaged. And I, th- I think that's kind of a sign of somebody that really sees that he's becoming more and more of a crucial player, doesn't feel marginalized by the media and the fans anymore, mm-hmm. and I think he's starting to embrace it a little bit more. It's a word that I don't necessarily condone, but it seemed as the season went on, and I got to talk to him when they came, the Celtics came down to, to D.C., swagger. He just has it. He has a little bit more of it. it. It's in him. It's really obvious to see. And for the Celtics to go anywhere, he's going to have to be the best player when Rondo's out. And, hey, maybe the best player even when Rondo does get back because there aren't. there's only a handful of guys who have the entire package that Jeff Green does on the basketball court. Yeah, Jeff, he's got all the skill sets. That's what's exciting about him is he can do pretty much every single thing scoring-wise. He's he's just a good all he's a very good all around scorer. His shot came back in the second half of the year last year, and that really transformed his game because before that he was doing just kind of spotting up in the corner, which is the most boring role in all of basketball, of course, <laughs> and then trying to just drive recklessly and well, I wouldn't say recklessly, just kind of aimlessly towards the hoop and hoping something would happen. And as everybody knows, he likes to jump off of the wrong foot from like 30 feet from the basket and hope something happens. So he's kind of one of those wild guys that likes to just kind of throw something at the wall and hope it, uh, hopes that it sticks. But when he started hitting those pull-up shots off of curls and stuff like that from 20 feet out, being able to hit the three-point shot from the wing, that really transformed his game because that got so much defensive attention that they had to basically give him a loose double team every single time he was trying to make a move off the wing. So that meant that when he beats the, those defenders, he's got pretty much a one-on-one at the rim. And he, he does that pretty the frequently. Guy, yes. He turns into the guy that you have to game plan for. Yes. Aside from Rondo, it's pretty much Rondo and Green. you got to know that your game plan is going to be centered around stopping those two and making everybody else beat them. But there are a lot of new pieces. I'm excited to see what happens with Humphreys and Wallace. I don't think there's any way Jared Wallace is any worse than he was last season. I, I, at least I hope not because I don't think that's possible. So that being said, I, I think that with, with Wallace – Sullinger and Humphreys and Brandon Bass, who I really, really like. I hope he keeps the starting spot. I think he does very well, uh, should be in that role. And the Celtics now all of a sudden have a plethora of fours. They have way too many fours. It's ridiculous how many fours they have. Um, as far as Wallace is concerned, I think I, I'm actually selling pretty high on him right now. Uh, because I think that he's basically auditioning season for the rest of the league. Mm-hmm. He knows that the team would like to trade him if they can, and he knows he wants to up his value around the league so teams will want to trade for him because he he was pretty – he wasn't really holding back on it at his press conference. He said, like, yeah, I'm going to be here because what kind of idiot says, oh, I don't want to be in Boston when they're getting introduced to Boston. But he yeah. said, listen, I, I'm, I haven't won a title. I'm like 14 or 13 years into my career now. I'm kind of pissed off I haven't won a title yet. So you know he wants to go get traded. And got traded from a team just so the team that he got traded from could try to win a title without Exactly. Yeah, so he, you you know he's pissed off about that. So hopefully that bodes well for the Celtics that he's going to get a motivated Gerald Wallace into the season. But all this talk about fives and ones and fours, 
I want to end the show with another one of the most wonderful of NBA summer fillers that happens in the boring summer of the off season between Kevin Durant and Dwayne Wade. And the whole, is Dwayne Wade a top 10 player? Because some people think he is. KD maybe was insinuating that he wasn't. And this whole thing that might have been construed by Adidas in the first place, what, just, guys, guys. I want, what, what do you have to say about this? It, I mean, is Dwayne Wade is he a top ten player right now? Uh, I would say yes, and I think this is, uh, as you said, it's all made up. This is a, this is a headline. It's fun, <laughs> um, but you know, obviously Dwayne Wade, I would I would say is still a top ten talent. Um, and one thing that Wade can say that Kevin Durant can't is that he was one of the two best players on a championship squad two different times, multiple times. Um, you know, it's player. Um, obviously not once LeBron came, came to town, but yeah, yeah. Um, Kevin Durant does not have a championship. And, you know, Kevin Durant is a really, really nice guy, as you alluded to before. He's, he's just very genuine. He doesn't look like the kind of guy that could start a, a Twitter feud <laughs> or a, a, a spat with one of the other better players in the league. Now, one thing about this is that I feel like it's a year late. I mean, last year, before the season, we got all commercials with Dwayne Wade and Kevin Durant and the whole dunking on each other and waking up in the middle of the night in the cold sweat, those Gatorade commercials. Why couldn't this have happened last year? It would have been perfect. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I I think that, you know, Kevin Durant is almost too nice um, to market sometimes, <laughs> so I think they're trying more controversial, but I mean, I, I think a lot of people are seeing right through it. I think, uh, you know, his feistiness is pretty transparent in this situation. Jared, Dwayne Wade, top ten? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you have to go through it to make sure that he actually fits in the top ten, but based on what happened last year with the injuries, he definitely fell back in the top ten. When he's healthy, there's a question he's a top five, top six player in the league, but uh, we don't know how healthy he's going to be this year. He is at that age where the injuries start to pile up and you start to kind of slow down. We saw it happen with KG and Pierce when they hit 31. It happens with pretty much all guys that hit 31. So maybe he is kind of stay, kind of taking a step back. But even D-Wade at a step back is still a top 10 player in the NBA. And as far as the validity of this rumor, or of, of this being like a fake beef for Gatorade, uh I think it was Darren Rovell, who, of course, who else would report a sports business transaction? <laughs> he said uh, last week, I think, or maybe two weeks ago, that Durant's leaving Gatorade. And uh, so I would assume that Gatorade's not going to be doing a whole promotional beef thing between the two guys if they're get, if they're letting uh, Durant go. So That's very also, interesting. Also, why on earth is uh, Gatorade parting ways with Kevin Durant. They must be out of their minds. He's one of the most marketable athletes in America. I'm not sure. Is that something uh, that could be something? Because I believe isn't Kevin Durant now with Rock Nation with Jay-Z? Yeah, so maybe they're starting him his own energy drink or something like that. Who could knows? be that. I don't know. Maybe Jay-Z hates Gatorade only drinks Powerade. No, not too sure. I just think with Dwayne Wade, I think you have to take into consideration and this is coming from an interview that was on Edge of Sports, one of the radio shows I produced on Sirius XM, with Seku Smith, writes for a hang time blog on uh, the NBA, and he said that really about this feud, you got to look at the fact that Dwayne Wade, you, you can't ignore the fact of what he's done throughout his career, the fact that he, you know what you're going to get from him in a big game, and that probably puts him up in there. I mean, James Harden, he's right there. I think Kevin Rowe just sticking up for his boy. And, again, it's the NBA, it's the summer, anything to make us laugh, anything to make us talk about the NBA. It's so close. It's just about a month away. Guys, it's it, it's almost here. I can taste it. I can taste it. So close, but yes. Very, very far away, but not too far. And we'll be covering the whole season for you guys right here on CLNS Radio. Jared's going to be in the locker room all season. Incredible content. Better than the pros. Well, he is a pro, so I'm not going to say better than the pros. It's <laughs> wonderful to have you, Jared. Thank you it's so much for joining us today. On par with the pros. Let's, let's not go too far. But I, I greatly appreciate the love, <laughs> and I greatly appreciate you guys having me on. It's oh, yeah, an we'll absolutely definitely, fun time being with you guys. We'll definitely to do it get you more on, frequently. Definitely get you on Celtic Speed later on. If you want to follow Jared, it's at CLNS 
underscore Jared Weiss. If you want to follow him, if you want to follow Sloan, it's at Sloan, S-L-O-A-N, P-I-V-A, and I'm at Daniel underscore Baker 9. You can follow the show at Celtic underscore B. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next week, guys.